Welcome to the Home Assistant Podcast, episode number 14. Today I'm joined by Dale and Ryan. Hey guys. Hey. Hey, how's it going? Not too bad. Um, I uh, We have a little bit of a late start this morning because I managed to sleep through my first alarm. I'm one of those people <laughs> that sets five alarms, so hopefully one of them wakes me up. It, it happens to the best of us. <laughs> um, right, so... Let's jump straight into talking about the 0.59 release, which is the second to last release for 2017. And mm-hmm. I just have to say, the future is here, is now automated pizza ordering. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that. That's, that's incredible. <laughs> I just saw that and went, yeah, that, we've made it. Now we can order pizza automatically. <laughs> you know, actually, what's funny is that somebody else had, uh, they had, I, and it was probably a year and a half ago, somebody had set up. Domino's ordering through Home Assistant, and it was just a shell script that they had written, and <laughs> it just ordered easy order. It came out whenever the Alexa Domino's thing came out, All right. and you know, I, I helped them perfect it, and it was it was really neat. But now that we have it as a component, that's pretty cool. <laughs> well, it's 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 interesting because again, it's somebody something you wouldn't think would have an API is is Domino's, right? So. Um, but, but it's awesome that, uh, you know, that's happening, whether it's on the echo, whether it's with home assistant, whatever it is, it's just the fact that it's happening is pretty, uh, pretty awesome. Yeah. And like the blog post says, you tie it in with, you know, your doorbell and then, you know, it's all automated, you know, home assistant orders pizza when you leave work on a Friday night and then the doorbell rings and home assistant lets you know, it's perfect. (laughs) And it can check traffic on the way too. So what if, um. What if you left a note that said, you know, go ahead and open the door, leave the pizza inside and tip yourself $5. Then when the doorbell rings, you could have the door unlock. I mean, it's not very secure, but you know, <laughs> it, it could happen. You, you, the doorbell rings, you unlock the door with Home Assistant, and then they leave the pizza, tip themselves $5, just put a dash across the, the signature line, and there you go. You don't even have to be there. That's right. I mean, that's, that's pretty much what Amazon's doing. Um, yeah. Have you seen Amazon's new lock? And camera, yeah, it's pretty incredible. Yeah, it's 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 it's. You're absolutely right. It's one of those things right now. It's I cannot be home. I can be wherever I am, and you know, my groceries get delivered to my house yep. when I'm at work at noon. Yep, and you can have a package securely delivered to your house. I know uh, Garage was working on something with uh, with package delivery couriers that they could scan something. And it would open the garage door and then the courier could leave the package inside the garage door or inside the mm-hmm. garage and then close it automatically. I thought that was pretty cool. And then they also have this, uh, this new, I guess it was on Kickstarter, Indiegogo. They had the, um, the box that you could scan your package. It would unlock the box. You put the package in and close it. Yeah. So it, it's, it's sad that, you know, we've gotten to a world where we need these kind of things. <laughs> I was going to say, clearly we need, I need it to build a man trap in my new house. Um, when we build in a few years so that, you know, there's a door that, you know, couriers and stuff can unlock and then the door that we unlock. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Kind of like a mud room for dogs. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh man. Except it's for, it's, it's for the couriers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what else have we got? We've got a enhanced color picker, which is, um, I guess kind of focused on touch because, you know, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You park the color picker and it pops up the colors, which is kind of nice. And um, context-sensitive drop-downs for the entity picker, which is going to make building automations and scripts and things so much easier. Yeah. You know, I, I really need to uh, to update to, 
to to dot five nine. <laughs> it's, I, I've been so busy this week with everything. I'm, I'm still getting back into the swing of things. You know, I was away for about a month and a half, two months almost, dealing with personal stuff. It's it's so good to be back, but I'm I'm so behind on on what we have available. And these seem like incredible enhancements. Like these are things that I, mean, I don't know. Like it, it's it's crazy to see what happened while you know between updates. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it's 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 been really ramping up uh, lately, and again, there's a lot more hubs coming in too. So part of part of the ones that came in on this one are, are Hive and Sumfi, right? Or the Sumfi's Tahoma hub, um, and, and it's kind of cool because now it's getting to the point where, regardless of platform and stuff like that, now you can start you know uh, popping in has IO or, or regular, regular home assistant and, and start automating between hubs, between things like that. So is something the brand that has the, uh, the tinting, the, the whiteout tint? I don't know if they have the whiteout tint, but I know they, they do have a bunch of, uh, uh, roller shades and things like that. Um, I think, yeah, I know, I know AOTech has the, uh, has, uh, the frosting, um, uh, the, the really? frost panel or, or whatever it's called. I, I haven't, I haven't seen it. It's been on their website forever. And I've always been like, I wonder how much this costs. And it's, I don't know if it's actually <laughs> out or what, but. Well, I've actually, uh, I funded a, a project on Kickstarter two, three years ago. I don't yeah. remember the name of it. It's, I think it was something along the lines of something though. Um, and you know, I, I got the product and it was great. You know, you just push a button and it goes opaque. And then you you press the button again and it goes clear. It, it was pretty cool, but I had yeah. no use for it. So <laughs> I just ended up giving it to a friend and he put it to use somehow. But it's pretty cool. Yeah, I've seen those in uh, in a commercial environment where just for like a ooh ah kind of factor, right? Where uh, you know TVs pop up out of nowhere and then and then they push a button and then the white wall is no longer white and you can see through and things like that, right? Well, and then, you know, it's really great for conference rooms that are covered in glass. Um, yeah. I know, I remember seeing it in the movies back in the, the early 2000s or late 90s, you know, they just flip a switch and the whole room goes opaque. But in today's world, it, it's actually pretty helpful if you have an all glass conference room, you can put this tent on one part of the, on one part of the glass and have your projector projected at that. Yeah. And you could do a reverse projection or you can do a forward projection. I mean, it, it's actually pretty handy. But yeah, we're, it's, we're it's, getting a bit off topic. So <laughs> <laughs> the possibilities. That's all right. Yeah, I didn't actually know what Hive and something you were. So I've learned something today. How about that? Um, yeah, Hive actually looks like just another another hub mm. um, with a, it's a paid service though. Um, for our friends in China, um, Baidu Text to Speech. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of cool. Um, I like, always like seeing you know international features like that. Um, so that's great. I went to, you know, do a bit of research into their text-to-speech and went, oh, this page is all in Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. Apparently we have a huge, huge, huge community in China. Um, we were discussing it the other day, and it, it's just, I mean, it's incredible. Like they have their own forums really? for a home assistant. And they're, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I imagine all the, incredible. the local polling and everything is good behind the Great Firewall. There's even a, I think it's a touch switch, like an in-wall touch switch. It's, uh, it was made for Home Assistant. It was made by a Chinese company, 
I don't, I, it's like H.A. Smart or something. I don't, I don't remember. Oh, interesting. But we were talking about it and it, <clears throat> so it's pretty neat. It's crazy. Um, what else have we got? Echo B Weather. Um, that's yeah, cool. that one was kind of cool. Yeah. There's, so yeah. I haven't, I haven't read up on that one. Uh, let's, let's go into detail about that one a little bit. I, I personally have an Echo B3 and I, I love it. So I'm curious about what this does. Yeah, so if you if you log in your so once you update, if you log into your home assistant, all of a sudden you see a new card, uh, and it and it kind of gives you the weather and uh, and a little bit of graphs around the weather. Um, it's 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 pretty neat. I mean, I haven't tried to use it in any automations or anything yet. I I literally just updated it uh, a couple of nights ago, so I haven't had the chance yet. Um, nice. But yeah, it's it kind of gives you your outside temperature and and you know wind speeds and stuff like that too, um, similar to the weather component. Okay, so it's it's basically just uh, I mean, just an additional weather platform. Yeah. So yeah. do you do you th- so on on that note, do um, do we think that any of these thermostat companies will be releasing any weather station components like uh, accessories anytime soon? <clears throat> like That's Nest or Ecobee. You know what? I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, they have all the data, whether they pay for it or or get it by their own sensors or whatever. Um, they have the data. Hmm. So why why wouldn't they build their own weather stations and such, right? That that's what I'm thinking, you know, and just a little Bluetooth accessory, uh, you know, BLE or even Wi-Fi, it doesn't matter. I know we have um one that's like Sky Bloom, yeah. Bloom Sky. And uh <clears throat> that's pretty neat. But uh I'd love to see one that integrates with the, the indoor thermostat, you know, so that you know, I don't I don't know. It just to me, so so many things that can integrate with each other. You know, you're your sprinkler system and your weather station, your indoor thermostat. It's just uh, possibilities endless well, again. And and I think that's where something like a home assistant comes in, right? Because again, Echobee might have their own, um, you know, weather platform versus uh, somebody else. Maybe it's an automated sprinkler system and something else. They use something else, which, and then, you know, maybe you have Nest at home for her. For, for your actual thermostats right now you can kind of start picking and choosing and then let let has do all the uh, all the brains behind it yeah i mean and that's that's exactly what home assistant is for so. yeah but also we got um ubiquity ap presence without a controller um I'm yeah not, i'm not entirely sure why you'd be running ubiquity ap's without the controller but if you were um now home assistant can ssh into the ap's and pull the data of who's connected directly from it which is pretty cool um mm-hmm. yeah i honestly can't think of a use for it um because the control is pretty damn awesome um but yeah well i do know that the controller uh for a while people you know were just running it and it was taking up so many so much resource mm. uh, so so many resources on their computer and it was just becoming a resource hog that right. was a burden on just your, your workstation yeah it is java so i do know that much <laughs> Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, and and again, for smaller environments where you have a single AP, you don't need a controller. That's right? true. Yeah, well, why why bother with the overhead? Yeah, I have three APs, five switches, and a security gateway. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Oh dear. Um, yeah, that's all right. Um, we've got a breaking change for Hugh, and I didn't actually look it up before we started recording. Yeah. So apparently, and and again, not having any Hughes in my house. Uh, it's from what it sounded like. It sounded like uh, when Home Assistant generates the names uh, of the Hue bridges, uh, basically sometimes you have a chance of having, if you have multiple, you have a chance of the names colliding. 
Yeah. Uh, so there was just a fix for that, but it was a breaking fix. I'm guessing that there's going to be some kind of change needed. I, I put that in the show notes just because I was like, okay, enough people have hues out there. So it's probably important to note. Um, and essentially my note to you is read the, <laughs> read the blog post. Yeah. Cause I do have hue, um, but it didn't break. <laughs> yeah. It, well, it's, it depends on how many, how many hue, uh, uh, okay. Uh, bridges you have, right? Right. So it changes the name if you have multiple, because I only have the one. Um, so my house is small enough that I don't need more than one. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, the, there's a separate section in, in, in the uh, Hue documentation that talks about multiple Hue bridges. So I uh, gotcha. Yeah. I don't, I honestly don't know of anyone using multiple Hue bridges. Um, so it's, it's good that this breaking change is not going to affect a lot of people. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's good. I see. So um, the hue component creates an all hue lights uh, group, and that can be a bit um, confusing <laughs> if there's, you know, multiple right, yeah. bridges. So now it goes, name of bridge, all lights, um, which, you know, works. Yeah, well, that's good. Yeah, so that's good. Um, and judging by the comments, there are definitely some people that have multiple hue bridges. And has to IO news. Um one of the new community add-ons is the Cloud9 IDE, which I am loving. Um, I moved to Hasio in the past couple of weeks, and I've been doing all of my configuration editing in the Cloud9 IDE. It is so, so Cloud9 good. is based on Ace, correct? Um, I don't know. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, whenever, it was probably a year and a half ago, I started just playing around with Ace and this jQuery tree view and <clears throat> seeing if I can get just a nice little configurator. But... Then somebody actually released a configurator, and I've been running that, but it's 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 too difficult to move around. So I'm kind of excited to see the Cloud9 IDE in action inside of Hasio. Yeah, it's it's really so, nice. Yeah, um, IntelliSense drop down um, completion and everything. It just works so well. I'm loving it. So, does it have so completion what's, for MDI icons? That's a good point. I haven't tried. Because if it doesn't, then that would be a good feature for someone to add is, you know, you just type in MDI and then, you know, colon, then you have these, this list that pops up with all these icons, the name mm. of the icon and the icon next to it. There you go. Yeah, that would be super handy. Surely it can't be too hard to add plugins to it. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah. So I think that's about it for the 5.9 release. And yeah, I have moved to HassIO after the... Uh, um, discussion we had on the podcast a little while back along with some very robust discussions in the uh, podcast channel on Discord. Um, <laughs> thanks to everyone that got involved in that and convinced me to give it a crack. And it's been going really well. Um, I'm actually running the, the generic installer on top of Ubuntu 17.10 um, and it's been working super well. Um, I've been... So, made... so for, for guys like me out there, what's the what's the big difference um that you found between using has io versus regular home assistant was it easier was it uh is it just more integrated support what's what's the what's the seller for you yeah just having everything integrated and being able to go hmm, i want to add you know uh the the bridge between um apple HomeKit and um home assistant let me just go into has io and go install and throw some configuration in it and it's done um and there's that's uh, cool and the cloud nine ide um also just a you know a click and an install there's a whole bunch of so stuff back like when that. i was checking out cloud nine um i thought i thought it was a paid ide or is that just for like their storage or something i'm not entirely sure um but yeah it it 
just seems to work. <laughs> the, so, um, I mean, but you didn't have to pay anything to use no. the Cloud9? Okay. The, no, uh, the pricing tab. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the, I guess the thing about HES.io is it enables you to be a bit lazy, um, which is kind of nice. Um, the only thing I've done manually is add MongoDB because I've been playing around with persistence and pushing a whole bunch of um, sensors and things into MongoDB using AppDemon to make them persistent without storing them on disk, which has been quite successful, actually. So one of the things that stopped me from switching over to HasIO is uh, I run Unraid now, and you know I've been wanting to switch Homosystem over to my Unraid server, but there's no solid way to install HasIO on Unraid properly. So and, I'm... I mean, my, la- my latest research was about a month and a half ago. There might hmm. be some progression on that now. So what, what virtualization does Unraid use for VMs? Is it KVM? Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, I do know that it uses VTI uh, in the Intel processors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So my my Core i7-3770K does not support that, unfortunately. Oh, no. Or something, the VTD. Um, so I can't run, you know, I can't pass through graphics cards. Right. So I wasn't yeah. able to, to run Blue Iris in a Windows you know, VM. <clears throat> but yeah. uh, something that's not heavy, strong on the processor or the GPU should be fine. But I don't want to run it in a VM. VM takes up so much, so much resource. <laughs> just, I don't want to do yeah. that. I'd much rather run, you know, HasIO in a Docker container because that's what Unraid is built around: is Docker containers. And you just provide a simple config, and boom, back it up. And you can have your Unraid server back up and running in a matter of thirty minutes if. If anything goes down. You might be able to message it to uh, get the installer to run on Unraid. I'm not sure. Because um, all, all HasIO is, of course, is just a collection of Docker containers. And, the you know, you have the supervisor yeah. container, which kind of talks to all of them. But I'm not sure if you and can. And that's where the issue is, is because Unraid is based on Slackware. Yeah. Unraid OS is based on Slackware. So mm. that's, <clears throat> I couldn't, I haven't done a ton of research on it, but I couldn't find a, a solid supervisor for Slackware. The the generic could be wrong. the new the generics supervisor, which it runs inside a Docker container, should run okay on Slackware. Um, okay, it'd be an interesting project. I've got an Unraid license hanging around somewhere. I might have to have a look if I get a chance. <laughs> there you go. More activity. Unraid has changed my life. Oh, it's <laughs> it's amazing. I just need a hard drive expansion controller now and a new chassis, twenty four bay. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I maxed out with uh, six hard drives on on my motherboard. All right. I've got uh, the plus license, so I need to get I really need to get a hard drive expansion controller and then put some more hard drives in there. Okay, yeah. more than twelve terabytes. Yeah, the never exists. Uh, the never ending quest for more storage. <laughs> yeah, it, it's real. The struggle is real. <laughs> I'm already at like seventy five percent of my twelve terabytes. Wow, it's it's crazy. But I also do backup multiple machines using our snapshot. So yeah. I do four hourly <clears throat> per server per day. So every six hours. And then I do daily for a week. And then I do weekly for four for a month. You're much so better at backups than me. <laughs> Honestly, man, all you have to do is set up our snapshot and it's all taken care of. I know. Like, I you really don't have to look at it again until it goes down. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I've been, I've been thinking of doing a whole bunch of backup stuff on my NAS too. I just, yeah. That that requires me to actually do it, <laughs> and I haven't. Okay, what? I'll tell you right now. Our snapshot. 
takes <laughs> maybe an hour to set up. You pick the directories you want to back up and set it and forget it. That's cool. It's it's incredible. It has changed my life as far as I, I'm I'm terrible at doing backups. Yeah. But our you know our snapshot changed my life. So. As long as you're backing up your Home Assistant configuration, Rohan, that's the important bit, right? Yeah, that's right. Oh, <laughs> that that I am doing actually. So yeah, <laughs> I I, uh, I back up a ton of stuff on my on my Home Assistant server. And then I actually moved almost everything off of the Home Assistant server except for Home Assistant itself and uh, Hasbot. So those are like pretty much the only two things running on the home assistant server now. So yeah, mine, I, I need to, I've, I've started pushing all my configs to get now, except the only, obviously the only thing is my secrets file. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do still need to find a proper way to back up my secrets file just in case. <clears throat> or snapshot. <clears throat> yeah. Well, it's, you know what? It's, it's all, <laughs> it's, it's, it's all sitting on my NAS right now. Anyways, it's, uh, it's, it's <laughs> in a Docker swarm uh, pulling from my NAS. So it's it's so what happens if your NAS cross crashes? Yeah, exactly. So now I need <laughs> NAS, NAS replication. I've I've actually got two NASs, one in my place, one of my parents. So I'm thinking nice. of just turning that on. So all right. Hey everyone. I just wanted to take a minute to talk about the Eufy video lock. It's a smart lock that's really easy to set up with just a Phillips screwdriver and no extra drilling. It's got a keyless entry, so you don't need to worry about fumbling with the keys when your hands are full. Also, you don't need to worry about handing out extra keys when you're in a pinch, your kids losing them, or people copying the key and passing it around to each other. Something else I like about the Eufy Video Lock is that it has a camera built in and it works as a doorbell as well. Personally, I think the Eufy Video Lock is great for apartments or cottages where you can't necessarily add extra holes for a video doorbell. My favorite part about it though is that there isn't a monthly fee and your recordings are locally stored, so you don't have to worry about someone else owning your doorbell data. You can find it on Amazon, or if you want to know more, search Eufy Video Lock, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. We don't actually have a hell of a lot else to talk about. Um, We do have a special episode coming up next week, Um, so we're actually going to release episode 15 and then 16, so there's going to be an episode a week for the next three weeks. Um, and there's a really exciting feature that we're going to release that um, we're going to tell you about in the next episode, and Paulus is actually joining us for that. Yep, we can't tell you what it is. You just got to check back and wait. Absolutely. So yep. wait and check back. Make sure you keep an eye out for the uh, next episode, which will actually be out two days before this one so in, in five days i guess the five yeah five and a bit days the new episode will be out and you'll be able to hear all about this exciting new feature and paulus is also going to tell us all about his kind of future vision for the project and the community as well which will be super interesting to hear oh this is like this podcast coming up is some of the biggest news that we've seen yet for the home assistant project <clears throat> yeah it's 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 pretty it's, exciting it's incredible we've all been it's been testing it out and it's it's amazing it's solid too and the improvements we've made um since you know since we started just a couple months ago it's incredible yeah yeah and that's all we're going to say about that for now (laughs) (laughs) i'm trying to think what else i could say and it's like (laughs) i think it's possibly one of the best features ever or i I don't even i don't even want to call it a feature i mean it's just it i I don't even know it's It's just just, lifestyle yeah it's (laughs) It's going to change Home Assistant as we know it. (laughs) Yes. 
Yeah. So make sure you listen. <laughs> that's, I think that's the point we're all trying to get across. I think so. <laughs> so. Subscribe to the podcast for updates. And that way you, you know, as soon as it, as soon as it, it drops, you can listen okay. to it and you'll know exactly. I mean, the title is probably going to give it away. So <laughs> possibly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably. Uh, but at least it'll get people to listen. Right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> all right. Unless you guys have anything else you want to tell us about where you've been up to with Home Assistant lately, we'll probably wrap it up. Well, uh, I do see a couple of things in the notes that we haven't talked about. Um, the uh, the motion persistence. Yeah, okay. Um, I, I guess I kind of briefly touched on it when I was talking about HES.io, but um, I have motion sensors um, for lights on AppDemon. And one of the big frustrations for me was every time I restarted AppDem and all the timers disappeared. Uh, well, actually, mm-hmm. all the timers stopped, which is really annoying. So now I'm pushing um, all my timers to MongoDB, and every time the motion app restarts, it looks at MongoDB and goes, is there a timer in progress? And if so, it resumes it. Um, and I've I've pushed all my, you know, my input selects and input booleans and my limitless LED lights and everything like that into MongoDB as well. So I can actually restart both Home Assistant and AppDemon now in the middle of the day if I feel like it. Um, and everything persists across, which is awesome. So yeah. is there a performance increase uh, using that over MQTT? I don't know. Um I just because it was it was you that was using my persistence uh, yes. package, correct? Yep, indeed. Um, I actually only looked at that yesterday and went, "Oh, so that's how he's doing it." <laughs> <laughs> I, I still have yet to to switch it over to the uh, MQTT state stream. I need to do that because it would increase performance tenfold. But yeah, um, yeah, there wasn't any particular reason for me to go to MongoDB. I guess it's just a it's what I thought of when I was thinking of you know. Um, that kind of data store uh, and it means that i can you know view us and st- and have you know indexes and things like that as well that that would definitely increase performance mm. you know uh, i was i was talking with quad flight the other day and, and this is on topic of motion i was talking with quad flight the other day <clears throat> he had run into an issue with some uh motion algorithm that he was working on he has it set up now that he can adjust timeouts on the fly and he, he almost has it perfected so that the lights are just perfect across restarts. I don't know how he's doing it. It, it looks super complicated, but he's got input sliders and he's, he's got you know two binary sensors for timeout. I don't know. It's super complicated, but it, he said it works incredibly and it's, it's reliable. That's interesting. We might want to bring him in to talk about it one day. Mm. Yeah. I've been spending ages tweaking my timeouts and I think I've got the times about right so that the lights don't go off on us, but, being able to, you know, dynamically set those timeouts would be pretty cool. Um, if he has got a got a way to do that instead of you know me having to think of a way to do it. <laughs> yeah, no, he he does. He does indeed. Um, that's that's one of the selling points of his his configuration around that is that he can dynamically change the timeouts. I was working on something similar to that about a year ago with MQTT, but I ran into an issue, which has since been fixed. Uh, it was something around templates. And it was fixed like a couple of weeks later and I just never picked it back up. But right. um, yeah, I would push something in QTT and then it'd be like the time and then it would come back. I don't know, but yeah, hmm. he can dynamically change the timeout. So if <clears throat> the first situation that comes to my head is not ideal to talk about, 
But um, let's say, uh, you know, you're, it's in the middle of the night and, you know, you go to the restroom. You don't want the light to stay on for, for seven, eight minutes, mm-hmm. you know? So in the middle of the night, you're just going to set the time out to just a couple of minutes in the, in the, in the bathroom. Mm. So, and then dynamic, dynamic brightnesses. So, you, you know, in the middle of the night, you would want it to be obviously dimmer. Uh, and if you use color bulbs, you can do dynamic colors so that in the middle of the night, it's going to be red instead. So that the way it doesn't affect your night vision. So yeah. There's so many, so many things you can dynamicize uh, with, with motion. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I've currently got a separate component that does the, you know, if it's between sunrise and sunset, set the brightness to this. And if it's the other way around, then set it to this. And, you know, if it's three o'clock in the morning, make it very, very dim. And it seems to work pretty well. Yeah. I went as far as to have um, a, an hourly breakdown uh, from oh, mine. Wow. So, you know, it, <clears throat> 7 a.m. is a certain brightness, and 8 a.m. is a certain brightness, and like 9 a.m. through 8 p.m. it's a certain brightness. And yeah, it's, wow. I've got it all listed out. And it, 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 I call it my global brightness, and my light control script is based on that. So if I don't provide a brightness to uh, the light control call, then it'll take the global brightness. Well, mm. first it looks at, um, it looks for an input slider or, which is now an input number. Uh, it looks for an input number or uh, a, a, a sensor with the name of the entity, the light that you're changing, and then underscore brightness. So let's say you have light.living room. <clears throat> you could have a sensor named, uh, you know, sensor.living room underscore brightness. And then whatever that brightness is at, light control will take that brightness and set it if you don't provide a brightness. Hmm. And if that nice. entity doesn't exist, then it'll take the global brightness. It's really complex, but yeah, it works for me. Yeah, I think I need to do light level sensors in all my rooms as well, and you know, do some kind of calculation based on time of day plus light level to set the brightness. Of course, that's just another thing that I've just thought of that is going (laughs) to take up all my time. Well, if you do, uh, if you do pursue that, please uh, let us know what light sensors you end up going with, or which ones you test, and what your thoughts are, Uh, because. A, a lot of us have tried out licensors and they just, they're not, they're not solid. Like the best one I found, it's not ideal for, for using with home assistant because it's, you have to pull it, but it's the huge, huge motion and it's mm. super expensive. Uh, but it's light sensor mm. is, is on point. You know, it uses a, yeah. a logarithmic algorithm and that way you have finer details. It just, it, it works. But yeah, you still have to I, it. I was looking at the the again the AOTech ones as well because I think their uh, smart sensor has a light sensor in it as well. It does. Yeah, the the four and one and the six and one both have light sensors in them. Like the multi sensor six. Mm. Yes, I think that's what it's called. <laughs> uh, that light sensor did nothing for me. Really? Okay, uh, good to know. I haven't. I mean, I I couldn't get it to to even work properly. So wow, it's good to know. And again, that's you know the, the quickest that will update. If you're on battery, the quickest that'll update is every four minutes. Right. Oh. So, whereas the Hue Motion uh, will update, you know, every second if the light changes. Mm. So you just again you have to pull it. I uh, just I yeah. wish you would release a, a, a push, just something, a, a JSON stream, push option, anything like that is literally the number one feature that is missing yeah. from Hue. If they would just do that, <clears throat> so many people want it. So many people could use it. And it would make Hue even more powerful. Now, on that topic, if uh, if we you know take the 
Amazon Echo Plus. I, you know, I, I, I pre-ordered it. I got it. Honestly, I was disappointed because there's not much you can do with it. It's literally mm-hmm. locked into the Alexa ecosystem. You cannot, uh, there, there are no open ports to access which lights are connected. So it doesn't even act like a Hue bridge. You can't use it with the Hue app. You can't use it with eye control Hue. You can't use it with Hue remote. You can't use it with any of those apps. And I really hope Amazon's really good at listening to what their developers and what their users want. So I'm really hoping that they're able to improve on the, the Echo Plus and open it up to allow it to be a better Hubridge that also integrates with the motion, the dimmers, the contact sensors, you know, all these Zigbee products and Bluetooth and Wi-Fi products that it would just, the Echo Plus has potential, Yeah, but it's, it's too locked up right now. And that, that's, that's super disappointing to me. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't know that was a limitation. That's, hmm. that's, that's honestly the reason I pre-ordered it is because I wanted to tear it apart, you know, not tear it apart, but tear it out of the package and just start hitting, hitting the ports to see if I can get anything. And I couldn't. Hmm. It is annoying. I, I don't know. So yeah, if you're, if you're, I, I haven't done research on it in over a month, but uh, a month ago, I would say don't waste your money on an Echo Plus. If you're, if you're working with Hue, get, just get a Hue Bridge. It's much more powerful. So yeah, but the Echo Plus has potential because Amazon listens to their customers. Yeah, we Here's really need a device. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We really need a device database for the Home Assistant community, don't we? Like the six-in-one light sensor is terrible, and don't buy the Echo Plus. <laughs> well, I mean, that's where that's where the wiki would come in handy. Mm. True, but we've we've gotten the idea of the wiki shut down a couple times. So yeah, but okay. I mean. And then the reason is, is because our, our, our documentation is open source. So we could just have a product database on the website, sure. which is not a bad idea. Something we should probably work on, but again, our documentation needs work too. So if we're going to be working yeah. on the website, we might as well be working on documentation. So. Yeah. Mm, that sounds like something that we need though, as a device database, I might have a think about that. <laughs> Now that I've started talking about it, because yeah. it's not like I don't need anything else to do. <laughs> well, you know, and one of the things I do is I test a lot of products, you know, because I like to reverse engineer products. Like uh, I, I tried to reverse engineer the SwitchMate. Somebody else beat me to it. I'm not good with Bluetooth, uh, Bluetooth sniffing. So I'm glad somebody else is able to do it. Um, but I, I like to get products and I like to reverse engineer them and, mm. you know, get the protocol and just write a library for it. So I just like to try different products and see how they work, provide my feedback to other people in our community on how they work. <clears throat> like I have pretty much every Zigbee hub known to man. <laughs> and I mean, it's just, I have my thoughts on each one. Yeah. Don't buy the combi. Don't do it. <laughs> Unless you're trying to, you know, emulate the Hebridge. Don't do it. But HUSB ZV1, if you're willing to get your hands dirty, Go for it. That's that's definitely a good stick. But, yeah. Uh, see, this is all the information we need in a device database. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now we, we have have to look do into it. that. We have to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the has podcast spinoff project. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like we don't inspire enough people to do enough things already. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Cool. Dale, anything else you want to share? Because I've actually got a, a a bullet in here which says, "What has Dale been up to?" <laughs> What has Dale been up to? Um, well, without getting too personal, 
uh, I've, I've had some major changes in my recent past that um, have caused me to take a step away from home assistant for a short while. And I am now in, in a much more stable environment, so I can focus a lot of my efforts to home assistant again. I am, I am working a lot more at, at my, my company. I, I own a company, um, and I've been helping out with that a lot more these past couple of weeks. So that's taking up a little bit of my time. Um, I also got into Bitcoin about three weeks ago. Uh, <laughs> you know, I've been, I've been researching cryptocurrencies since 2010. And just like everybody else, you know, I'm kicking myself for not following through and, <laughs> yeah. and doing it and getting into it sooner. <clears throat> but um, yeah, I, uh, I invested a little bit of money and I started with Coinbase and I you know, tossed it over and started making money. And then I started exchanging and day trading and started making a little bit more money. And it's fun. It, it consumes a lot of time if you day trade, though, but uh, it's a lot of fun. So I, I've been doing that and working and thinking about home assistant and the future of home assistant and where we're going with it. I have a lot of things on my mind every day, but uh, my personal life's getting a lot better. So that's good. Glad to hear that. Um, And I'm sure the the community is going to be glad to see you getting back and getting your hands dirty as well. I'm I'm definitely excited to get my hands dirty again. I don't, (laughs) I don't have a primary residence where I can set up a smart home anymore. Um, So all, all of my, I can move my, my rack server, or my rat cabinet uh, to my office. So like my home assistant server, Hasbot, Unraid server, that's all at my office now. Um, and I don't actually have any A19 or standard you know, bulbs, so I can't set up any hues. I have all fluorescence in the drop ceiling. So I, can't, I can't automate anything at the office with my hue lights. And it's kind of a, a setback, but I can still play with things. I've got, you know, I've got my Z-Wave network set up. I've got Zigbee stuff plugged in, so I can still test stuff and play around with it, see how it works, but no automation for me right now, uh, unfortunately, but uh, mm-hmm. soon one day in the, in the near future, I really hope to, <clears throat> to be back in a home of my own and uh, fully automating again. Uh, I, I miss having, oh my gosh, going from an automated house to not an automated house. <laughs> oh you, you man. Know, yeah. You don't, you don't realize how much of a, and, and I know this is just, it's a first world problem. It really is. But how much of a burden it is to hit a light switch when you walk into a room or to, you know, look in a room and see the lights on and wish it was off. You know, you just it's it's incredible. It's things you don't think about when when your home is truly automated. Yeah. So, But uh, yeah, I love home automation. (laughs) So so do we. (laughs) That's why we're here. That's that's why we're here, right? That's it. That's it. So, and, and, you know, and, and with that, you know, there's, there's no one perfect solution for everyone. So, you know, what I use in my home, is not going to work for, for you or for Dan. Yeah. It's every, every, every home is different. <clears throat> so it's, it's glad, you know, I'm glad to have a, a platform like home assistant that integrates with so many things that allows people to use what they want and what works for them. So that's, uh, that's one of the, one of the best things about home assistant is it's so I don't, I don't know the word. It's, it's so broad. Yeah. Yeah. Versatile. There we go. It's so versatile. And that's, that's in my mind, that's what makes it the most powerful home automation system in the world. Oh, we really need that device database. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no. All right. (laughs) I'm already kind of, I'm already kind of thinking about how that could work. That's not good. (laughs) 
let me guess you have you have word open and you're already typing stuff up <laughs> uh, not they haven't quite got that far but yeah <laughs> not, not far off <laughs> that's funny oh man i do agree Brian, we you, definitely need that yeah. device database Brian, anything new for you before we wrap it up and i go get myself ready for work uh not a ton i moved my stuff to swarm like i said from uh from a mm. standalone uh from a standalone Docker container, so going for availability. Um, outside of that, I'm, I've got a blog post that I started writing on it and just why I did it and what I did. Uh, that'll eventually be up. But outside of that, uh, not a ton. Just trying to trying to stay afloat with uh, with work work and uh, trying to keep up with the home automation work. So that's it. On the topic of Docker, you know, I a couple months ago I, I was fully against Docker. Like I couldn't recommend it to anyone. And then as soon as I started using Unraid, it, Docker is just so much easier. It makes so much more sense uh, to use. Oh, yeah. It, it like changes your life. <laughs> it does. It does. I don't know what... I, th- I think because I was on a Raspberry Pi with an 8-gig SD card, and, and Docker took up so much of that space, Yeah, I just didn't... I wasn't okay with that. Um, so if you're using you know low amounts of storage, Docker is not good. But if you have a fair amount of storage, it, man, it's incredible. And it, it makes things so easy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and even like turning on and off, like if I want to make a change or something like that, or update Home Assistant, it's a matter of killing the container and restarting the container, right? Yeah. Unless, unless, unless you're uh, renaming Z Wave entities. Yeah. Don't do that. If you rename your Z Wave <laughs> nodes or devices or entities, whatever, don't just turn the container off. You got to make sure you shut down Home Assistant properly. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, it won't save the Z Wave config. Yep. <clears throat> yeah. I think that's about it for me. Ditto. Oh. Yeah, so thanks, guys. And, of course, don't forget for our listeners to tune in for next week for episode 15. Um, be sure that you'll all enjoy what you're going to hear. Perfect. Thanks. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. And thanks for coming on, Dave. Good to hear your voice again. And we'll have you back yeah. on again soon. Take care.